This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. with you today, teaching you from the Word of God. And the passage that I'm going to be looking at today is Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, where it says this, Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes or chastises, rebukes, reprimands every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit, so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. And later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed." instead. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the chance to be together like this. God, I pray that you would fill each home that is watching this with your presence. God, I pray that um, we would all have an encounter with you today as a result of this time spent singing and reading your word and hearing your word taught and praying. I pray that we wouldn't walk away from any of this unchanged, that we wouldn't just turn this off and go back to life as it's always been, go back to the the busyness and and the chaos and all of the to-dos and the tasks, completely forgetting what it is that we've done and heard and sung here today. So God, I I pray, yes, I pray that we would not be distracted. I pray that we would not quickly forget or abandon all of this, but God, I, I pray that you would cause us to remember what it is we need to remember. And God, I pray that you would transform us as a result of today. May we experience you. May we hear what we need to hear. May we learn what we need to learn. May we change in the ways that we need to be changed. God, do an incredible work in our lives today as a result of today. And may we not resist you. May we not fight back against you, but may we 
surrender to you as Lord and let you do your good work in our lives because it is for our good. So God, use this message. Use this service, I pray, for our good and the good of our world and for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 12 has been um, a really important passage to me. Over the last while, I took my church through Hebrews last year, and um, all of the chapters, of course, of Hebrews are good, but this chapter in particular really uh, stood out to me, and I've kept going back to it over and over again over this last year. And in this chapter, the preacher, that's who I'm going to refer to the writer of Hebrews as. We don't actually know uh, who wrote Hebrews. There's lots of different theories about who wrote it, but we, we don't have any certain knowledge about who wrote Hebrews. And Hebrews, I, I read this in many commentaries, Hebrews reads more like a sermon than it does a letter, and hence why I call the writer to the Hebrews the preacher. He's preaching a sermon. And in this chapter, uh, the preacher gives a metaphor for the Christian life, and the metaphor that he gives is that of a marathon. Uh, the, the New Testament is replete with metaphors for the Christian life, and the preacher here decides he's going to liken it to a race, to a marathon. Now, what is that race? Well, the race of the Christian life is having the image of Christ formed in us. The race of the Christian life is becoming more like Jesus and living like Jesus. It's becoming more conformed to the image of Christ and doing what Christ did in the world ourselves. That is the race, the marathon of the Christian life. And it's actually a very apropos metaphor for the preacher's audience because he would have been writing to Hellenized or Greekified Jews and they loved their sports and the Olympics and marathon. And so this is a a metaphor that really would have resonated with them. And he says, you have to run the Christian life. You have to run it with endurance. You have to run with endurance. Now, you probably figured this out looking at me. I have not (laughs) run very many marathons in my life or any marathons in my life. I haven't done a lot of running, period, in my life. The few times that I have done it, As soon as I get into it, I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. This isn't so hard. I can do this. Like, I can can keep doing this for another 30 minutes. And then about two, three, four minutes into that run, uh, something shifts. Something changes. My legs start to burn and my lungs start to burn. And I feel like I'm tasting blood in my mouth. And it's just everything hurts. And... I don't want to do this anymore. I have made a horrible mistake. I'm filled with regret, and I want to just run home (laughs) to my living room and to my couch and to my bag of chips and never, ever run again, right? Running is is easy at first, but it gets really, really hard. And if you're going to make it to the finish line, you've got to persevere through that hard. You've got to endure. And again, the few times that I've run, (laughs) if I do push through that pain, it does eventually start to get a bit easier again, and I make it to the end. I heard this recently, and it's not recently. I've heard it many times over the years. Everything good in life is hard. Everything worth doing in life 
is hard. And that actually goes against, in the West, we have a tendency to think that, that if something is good, if something is worth doing, then it should be easy, right? We should be passionate about it all the time. If it's something that we're meant to do, then it should come naturally, and there shouldn't be difficulty or challenges or hardship along the way, right? If, if I am meant to be with this person, if I'm meant to love this person for the rest of my life, then, then we should never fight. We should never have conflict. We should never... Um, have difficulty or challenges. If I'm meant to be a parent, all of this kid stuff should just come naturally to me. There shouldn't be any difficulty or challenge. If I'm meant to be in this program, studying towards this degree, then I should be passionate about it all the time, and I should never, ever feel overwhelmed or like it's too much or like I can't do it. I should just, it should always be easy. It should always be simple. But everything, hear me, everything that is good and everything that is worth doing in life will have seasons of challenge. Sometimes it will have seasons of immense challenge, and you have to push through. You have to persevere. You have to endure. And the Christian life is no different. It's a marathon, and you need to run with endurance to make it to the finish line. Now, how do you endure? How do you endure? And that's what the preacher outlines here for us. Number one thing he says, lay aside every weight and sin, cast off everything that distracts or draws you away from Jesus. Cast off everything that draws you away from Jesus or that distracts you from Jesus. Cast off your sins. Cast off your disobedience to Jesus. Cast off anything in your life that is not consistent with the way of Jesus, that is not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Cast off your pornography. Cast off your people-pleasing. Cast off your pride and your arrogance and your self-glory. Cast off romantic relationships in your life that are not Christ-centered. Cast off your gossip. Cast off your addictions, your bitterness, your emotional or physical adultery, your anger, your greed. Cast these things off. The thing about sin is that it divides your allegiances, and it divides your affections. You cannot serve sin and serve Jesus. You cannot walk in sin and walk with Jesus. One of those two things is going to win out. It's either going to be your sin or it's going to be Jesus. I'm advocating that it be Jesus, but you can't have both in your life. Far too many Christians think that they can have both in their life. I can follow Jesus, I can live for Jesus, but I can also have this thing over here that is against Jesus, that is antichrist. I can have this, I can hold on to this and still follow Jesus. You can't. Sin divides your allegiances, it divides your affections. The more you give yourself to sin, the more you numb yourself to Christ. The more you're drawn away from Jesus, it distances you from him. It draws your heart away from him. And so the the preacher says, cast off every sin. And then he says, cast off your weights as well. We have a tendency to think that weights and sins are the same thing, but I don't think that they necessarily are. 
A weight, it could be something that isn't in and of itself sinful, but your overindulgence of it or your overdependence on it is distracting you from Jesus. It's not sinful in and of itself, but your overindulgence of it and your overdependence on it is distracting you from Jesus. I mean, I, when I think of what this could possibly be in our society, a huge weight is streaming platforms. Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and whatever else is out there right now, right? Like, these are things, streaming shows is not sinful in and of itself, but it can distract us from Jesus. It can distract us from the marathon of becoming more like Christ and living like Christ in the world. I don't know how many evenings when I could have been doing something more profitable, I just flake out on the couch and I put on Netflix and I don't even have to click next episode. It just takes me to the next episode. It's all you want to keep watching, don't you? Yeah, 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 you do. Here's the next episode. Here's the next episode. Here's the next episode. And all of a sudden it's been, I don't know how many hours that I've been on the couch just passively consuming content that isn't doing anything to make me more like Jesus. Social media, that's something that is not in and of itself sinful or evil. Maybe you could argue that it is, but it isn't, I think, in and of itself. And yet, it can be something that our over-dependence on it, our over-indulgence of it, distracts us from Jesus. Again, I don't know how many times I've gotten on my phone not to look at social media, I haven't gotten on to do anything related to Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I've gone on my phone to send a text or to check my email or to do something productive and necessary. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, what's happening in the world of Facebook? And I open it up and I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And all of a sudden it's been an hour and I haven't done anything. I've just been scrolling through social media. We, we are in our culture addicted, addicted to entertainment addicted to passively consuming content, addicted to social media. We spend way too much time online, way too much time consuming content that has nothing to do with Jesus and that just serves as a distraction from Jesus. The preacher says, lay aside your sins and lay aside your weights. These things are dividing your allegiances, dividing your affections, distracting your attention, taking you away from what is important and necessary and good. I've said this to my church before, that the devil wants for you a fruitless, morally compromised life beset by slavery to sin and heresy devoid of witness or integrity but he can also want for you a wasted, inconsequential life, beset by apathy, indifference, stagnation, devoid of any substance or reality. Both of these can lead to you abandoning the faith, abandoning Jesus, walking away. Many have left Jesus because they fell more in love with their sin than him, but others have walked away from Jesus because their love for him just grew cold. They gave themselves to other things and they just fell out of love, so to speak, with Jesus. He became an unnecessary or irrelevant add-on or hobby that just got in the way of what they really wanted to do. Cast off these things, the preacher says. 
And I don't want to make it sound like casting off is something that happens instantly overnight. I'm not going to do this anymore and it's gone. No, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes the Holy Spirit. What it starts with is confession. It starts with acknowledgement and recognition of the problem and bringing what's in the darkness into the light so that others can know about it and walk with you. The second thing he says, lay aside every sin and wait. Second, he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. You can't become like Jesus or live like Jesus if you aren't looking at Jesus, right? You become like who you spend time with. That makes sense. You become like who you spend time with. So the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. So keep your eyes on Jesus. That's certainly something that this verse means, but it's not all that this verse means. The preacher says, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of your faith. The source and perfecter of your faith. In other words, Jesus is the reason that you are in the race to begin with. Right, The minute that you turned away from self-lordship, the minute you turned away from your rebellion against God and you entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and you decided, I surrender my life to you, I'm clinging to you, I'm trusting you, I'm going to follow you, the minute that you did that, the starting pistol, so to speak, went off in your life and you started the marathon. Jesus is the reason that you are in this marathon but Jesus is so he's the source but he's also the perfecter not only is he the reason you're in the race he's the reason that you will make it none of us not one of us makes it to the finish line of actually becoming like Jesus and entering into the full glory of what Jesus has for us nobody makes it to that finish line apart from him apart from his strength, apart from his supernatural work through the Holy Spirit to preserve us in the faith and transform us so that we actually become more like Jesus. Left to ourselves, this is honesty, left to ourselves, we will give up. We will give up pursuing Jesus. We will fall away from Jesus. We will be those that the preacher says earlier in the letter, draw back and are destroyed and don't enter into all that Jesus has for us. We need Jesus every step of the way and he will see us through. He will see us all the way home. Jesus is committed to you getting to that finish line. I love how... Jude puts it in his short little letter. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. He who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us blameless. Jesus will see us all the way through. Now, how do I know that? How do I know that Jesus will see us all the way through? Because he got through. He got through. Jesus never fell away from God. Jesus never fell away from what God had for him. Jesus fully obeyed 
God the Father in everything he did through his whole life. He lived a perfect life of love for God and love for neighbor. He never tripped up. He never failed. He never blew it. And he even gave his life for the human race. He gave his life for you and me. When God said, your obedience will take you to the cross, he went to the cross. It says he endured the cross, despised the shame. He was obedient all the way to death. And now... He's resurrected, ascended, and is sitting down at the right hand of God, which is a declaration that he has perfectly accomplished all that he was sent forth to do as the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and now he reigns as king from heaven. Jesus made it, and therefore with him we will make it. So keep your eyes on him. Don't look to your own strength and willpower and ability to run this race and make it to the end. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to anybody else. Not even to the heroes of the hall of faith, right? Right before Hebrews chapter 12 is Hebrews chapter 11, and it tells all these incredible stories of Old Testament saints and the things that they did by faith. And you might think that the reason the preacher gives us all of these stories is to say at the end, you want to be like these people? Look at these people. No, he says, you want to be like them? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't look to anybody else. Of course you can get inspiration from other people, but don't bank everything on other people. Don't make other people your savior. Don't make other people your reason for staying in the faith. Don't make them your everything. No, look to Jesus. He is able to supernaturally impart to us everything that we need for this race. And he's able to impart grace to us when we stumble and fall and mess up. He's able to forgive us and lift us back up again and keep us going. Look to Jesus. The third thing the preacher says, consider Jesus. He says, consider Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Commentator Albert Moeller says, by consider he means to hold up Christ as a model and to constantly look to him for inspiration and encouragement. Jesus, hear me, Jesus has been through absolutely everything that you could possibly go through in your life. Jesus endured all kinds of hurt and betrayal in his life. He was turned on by people. He was hurt by people. He was rejected by people. He had people speak badly of him. He suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered mentally. He lost people. He grieved. Like Jesus has been through everything that you could possibly go through. He gets what it is to be you. In Jesus, we have a God who is not distant and uncaring, up in heaven, unaware of what it's like to be us looking down at us and making demands no in Jesus we have a God who gets what it is to be human who gets what it is to live in this world and to live as us we have someone who sympathizes with us the preacher to the Hebrew says that elsewhere in his letter we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us Now the preacher says this in verse 4, In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
And given the context here, sin is not your own personal sin, but rather sinful men or the forces of evil. And the preacher is saying to them, the forces of evil, you have not resisted them to, in, to the point of having to give your own life yet. Now, at first, that might read like, hey, guys, you don't have it so bad, right? You're not being killed, so stop your whining and complaining. But that's not, that's not the tone of the preacher. Again, given the context, I think the preacher is encouraging them. Jesus had to endure all the way to the point of being scourged and crucified. That hasn't happened to you yet. But that happened to Jesus. So he literally gave up everything to be faithful to God. There is nothing, nothing that you can endure from sinners, from the forces of evil, that he cannot directly sympathize with. He went all the way to shedding his blood. He can sympathize with absolutely everything that you might go through in this life. So the preacher says to run this race Cast off the stuff that's weighing you down, your sin. Look to Jesus, who's the one who's going to keep you running, who's going to preserve you and transform you, and who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. And consider Jesus. He went through everything on this race that you're going to go through. And so look to him for help and encouragement. He is fully able to minister to you in any situation, to comfort you in any situation, to give you whatever you need in any situation to keep running this race. Consider Jesus. And the last one, lean into God in your suffering. At this point, the preacher focuses in on suffering, and he says suffering is not an end in and of itself, right? If you try to live for Jesus, you'll suffer. But God uses, he says, God uses suffering, pain, hardship, difficulty to discipline us, to make us better runners, to grow, stretch, and teach us, even to correct and rebuke us. Now, what do I mean on this last point? Well, when we, rather than cast off our sins and weights, we indulge them and give ourselves over to them, when we, rather than struggle against sinful men or the forces of evil, start to give in to them and compromise our beliefs and values and lives for the sake of approval and comfort and luxury and security and popularity and relevance and power and influence and success, when we stray and we go down paths we should not, God loves us enough, God is committed to us enough to pursue us and to discipline us as a loving father disciplines his children. The preacher is, in essence, saying here there is suffering that accompanies simply being a Christ follower in an antichrist world. There are endless temptations. There will be demonic attack. There will be persecution. And maybe some of that is what you are enduring, but for some of you, your suffering might be because, according to the preacher, you are not enduring you're not resisting, you're wavering, you're giving in and you're giving up, you're compromising, you're heading down a road that leads to the abandonment of the faith and Jesus and God who is fiercely in love with you, committed to your holiness and who has, if you are truly a follower of Jesus, 
predestined you to Christ's likeness. He is so committed to you, he will not let your sins come to their full fruition of abandonment of the faith and destruction of your soul, and so he's afflicting you. He is afflicting you in an effort to wake you up and to draw you back to himself, to correct you, to rebuke you, to chastise you, to draw you back home back to his love, back to the way, back to what leads to joy and abundance in your life. We see this over and over again in the Bible. We see it in the story of Israel. They are chastised over and over again when they stray from God. We see it in Jesus's uh, parable of the prodigal son, right? The son abandons his father's home, abandons all that he has in his father's home, abandons his father to go live like a wild man in the cities, and he gives himself to drunkenness and prostitution and all of these different things. He's got money and he's got friends, and then all of a sudden there's a famine in the land. He's impoverished. Everyone abandons him, and he is a Jew taking care of pigs and eating pig slop and it's humiliating and degrading and he wakes up and he realizes, what am I doing? I had everything with my father. I need to go back home. Affliction to wake someone up, to bring them back home. Preacher says, The father is willing to do that. Now, he's very careful to make clear here that fatherly discipline is not judgment. God doesn't judge or punish or condemn his children. Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Any judgment we deserve has been absorbed and obliterated by Jesus on the cross. There is no judgment left for us for our sins. When we sin, God isn't angry, disappointed, regretful, ashamed. He doesn't hate us. He's not thinking, Oh, What a lousy investment. I thought he or she would be better than this. He isn't lashing out against us when he brings affliction into our life. No, when we sin, he is grieved for us. His children, he's grieved for us. And he wants better for us. And so he disciplines us. And his motive is only love. He's a good parent. He, as the preacher says, does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. And in fact, discipline is good because it is an affirmation of our standing. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, rebukes, reprimands every son he receives. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God rebukes those that he loves. The preacher is assuring his readers here, suffering is not an end in itself. It says, endure suffering as discipline. Do not resist what God is attempting to do in your life through suffering. Be it the suffering of correction and rebuke, 
or be it the suffering of trying to become and live like Jesus in an antichrist world, the suffering of persecution, the suffering of demonic attack, the suffering of resisting sin, or the suffering of life in a fallen world, betrayal, broken relationships, broken trust, broken dreams, unemployment, injustice, loss, chronic physical or mental ailments, terminal diagnoses, the death of loved ones, right? These are the sufferings of life in a fallen world. The preacher says, don't resist what God is attempting to do in your life through that suffering. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there is necessarily some great grand plan to your suffering that will be revealed to you in time if you just wait and are patient, right? I'm not saying that there's going to come a point in your life on this earth where God is going to pull back the curtain and be like, this is what I was doing all of this time, and you'll be like, I get it now. I understand. It's all worth it. I'm not saying that that will necessarily happen. There are people in the Bible like Joseph who endured great suffering And eventually, they realized, this is why God allowed this to happen to me, so that I could end up here. But then there are also people like Job, who endured great suffering, and as far as we know, they never found out why. They never found out why. So I'm not saying that God's going to reveal the great grand plan. What I'm saying is that God doesn't waste. We can be assured God doesn't waste anything in our lives, even our pain. He doesn't waste anything. Nothing happens by consequence, or coincidence, sorry. Nothing happens by coincidence. Nothing is accidental. Nothing just happens. Nothing is meaningless. God can use even our pain. Pain can teach us. Pain can grow us. Pain can make us more like Jesus. Pain can yield, as the preacher says here, the fruit of peace and righteousness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can't learn these things without pain. You can't. You can't learn real love without pain. You can't learn real patience without pain, gentleness, Some of the the gentlest people I have ever met, they have been through crazy stuff. And that crazy stuff has made them gentle. They have seen that life is not as simple as they thought, not so black and white. They are not as strong as they thought. Their pain has humbled them and made them more compassionate and gracious towards others, less critical and judgmental, more willing to put up with people's weaknesses because they have fully encountered their own limitations. You can't become more like Jesus without pain. The preacher says, therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Knowing that God is even in our suffering can give us the strength to endure, to keep moving forward, that we might not be broken by the disciplined but trained and restored and healed as a result instead. The preacher says, if you want to become like Jesus, if you want to live like Jesus, if you want to make it to the finish line of fully being like Jesus and living in his glory forever, if you want this, then you've got to cast aside every sin and wait. You've got to look to Jesus. You've got to consider Jesus. And you've got to lean into God in your suffering. Now, what do I want you to get from all of this? 
Well, what I want you to get, quite simply, is that the Christian life is hard. The Christian life is hard. If you're not a Christian watching here today, I just want to be upfront with you, fully upfront with you about the cost of following Jesus. Right? Sometimes as Christians, we can present coming to Jesus like if you come to Jesus, then you'll get the girl you've always wanted and the job you always wanted and all of your broken relationships will heal and life will be like a dream and it'll be amazing and, and you'll, you'll look back on the life you had before Jesus and it'll just be just this awful mess. But everything from when you believed in Jesus on is pure bliss and glory and a rose garden. We can sometimes present it like that. And I, I just want you to know Believing in Jesus, following Jesus is unbelievably hard. It's unbelievably hard. It will make some things in your life more difficult, but it is all worth it. Because Jesus, Jesus is life. Jesus is love. Jesus is the eternal bread that we need, the eternal drink that quenches our thirst. Like Jesus is joy and abundance and satisfaction. He's the answer to all of our questions. He's the solution to all of our problems. He's the satisfaction of all of our deepest longings. Jesus is everything. A relationship with God is everything. It's what we were made for. And Jesus died and resurrected so that we could have that if we would give ourselves to him. It is worth it, but it is hard. And that's why Jesus says to people, before you believe in me and follow me, count the cost. Count the cost, because there is a cost, but it's worth it. If you are a Christian, I hope I'm reassuring you weirdly (laughs) I hope I'm reassuring you that you are not strange. If in this Christian life you are feeling exhausted, you are feeling like you want to give up, like you want to give in, I want you to know you are not alone. You are not alone. The Hebrews wanted to give up. They, they wanted to walk away from all of it. And that's why the preacher is writing to them. Don't give up. Don't fall away. Hold fast. Have faith. Live by faith. Run with endurance. Christian, the Christian life is a marathon. It is hard, but if you push through, there's glory. There's glory. So cast off every weight and sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus. Lean into God in your suffering. Keep running. The finish line is glory. The alternative is destruction. What do you want? Do you want ease for a moment followed by eternal loss? Or do you want pain for a moment followed by eternal glory? Run this race with endurance. I'm going to read verse 2 again. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. I just want to finish with that line, the joy set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? It was pleasing his father and being obedient, absolutely but it was also achieving salvation for us, for his church, for his bride, for his body, for his family. The joy that was set before Jesus was seeing billions of us 
come to faith in him so that he could live with us for forever. That was what drove Jesus to the cross and kept him on the cross and gave him joy even as he endured the cross was the thought of being together with you and me for forever. That was Jesus' joy. And when we get that, when we get that we are Jesus' joy, that fills us up with a joy that is willing to give anything for Jesus. When we truly absorb and grasp and get that Jesus has given everything for us, then we will want to give everything for him. If we were worth everything to Jesus, should he not be worth everything to us? So let's run this race. Let's become like Jesus and live like Jesus. And someday, when history ends and Jesus returns, we will become fully like Jesus and we will live with him forever in a new heavens and a new earth where all evil is vanquished and there is no death or pain or dying or sorrow or loss. Everything is as it should be. We are as we should be and we get to spend forever worshiping and living with the one who gave everything for us. That's the finish line. Persevere, keep going run with endurance. God, thank you so much for the chance to be together like this today. And I just want to pray simply that whatever people needed to hear, I pray that they heard it. And in whatever way we need to be changed, I pray that we would be changed. I pray that there would be people that come to believe in Jesus for the first time as a result of this message. I pray that there would be people who are perhaps believers in Jesus, but distanced from Jesus right now. I pray that they would come home I pray for those that are weary and exhausted that this has given the inspiration and encouragement that they need to keep running, to keep going. Whatever needs to happen, do whatever needs to happen in our lives with this message, I pray. In your holy, precious, beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to The Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.